Everyone said amen, right? <clears throat> thank you, Choir Orchestra. Jimmy, thank you for uh, our uh, Korean students leading us today in worship. And um, I know that you all found... Come on up here, Jimmy. I want to get you to tell this story real quick. Come on. We got a second. But don't be slow. Hustle. Come on. I need you. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> so, I think you told me that one of your pastors, maybe church leaders, visit us. And that's how y'all found us. Tell the church that real quick. How, how you all found us. Why, why are you here with, in our church? You could be in so many other places, yes. but you found your way to our church. Um, at first, um, I feel like I'm not good at English yet at all. Okay. So I'm just great. trying my best to like, explain. Mm -hmm. So um, actually, like, we want to like, go to church in like, Arlington, Texas. So. Mm -hmm. We tried to find out the church because mm -hmm. we are here to study in here. You're studying here, students. <laughs> mm -hmm. But uh, when we came here and I heard about like the the Dr. Wise uh, gospel and his preach, and I in my heart like there's a trembling in my heart when I when I, whenever I heard like from him. So we decided to come come here. Like mm -hmm. that's why. Mm -hmm. So we are different. Like. I'm Korean, he's like American, and we're different, like language is different, everything is different, the background, everything is a bit different, but there's the same thing in the gospel. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, I'm Great. And, and you are, y'all are from the same church, yes. right? And you come here every year, go back home when school is out, and yes. then different ones of you come back every, that's kind of what's yes. happening, right? Okay, I just want everybody to know that I thought you might be wondering, and uh, well, Jimmy is their leader. Jimmy, thank you for your godliness and uh, your humility and your leadership, and your really good English. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Bless you, thank you, buddy, all right. <clears throat> Such a sweet young man. <clears throat> thank you, Jimmy, and thank you for leading these uh, students. Well, today, we are continuing this journey. Uh, we've been asking the question, religion, why does it matter? And um, it is our theme for the month of November. And we have these conversations here on Sunday morning, a time of worship and um, uh, proclaiming the gospel. And then, y'all know, we also have a podcast called Tell Me More. And wherever you get your podcast, you can find that uh, at First Baptist Arlington. And Katie Hodges and Luke Stair and I talk a little bit more about what we discussed in here. This week, Kyle Judkins informed me we've had our 10,000th download of Tell Me More. So um, we're grateful that it's touching the lives of a lot of people and we're thankful for that. Well, today the message is entitled Sacred Lives, Sacred Servants. And the text for the message is a familiar page in your Bible, very familiar story, John 13. So if you have your copy of the New Testament, let's look at that. And I'll invite you to stand along with me as we honor the Lord Jesus whenever we read the gospel. John has written this for us. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped it in a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? 
Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean. Now the word you there is plural. So he's referring to all of the disciples. Though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Thank you. You can be seated. <clears throat> you remember last Sunday morning, if you were here, we talked about sacred beliefs. We began this conversation about mission with, a, with a, an exploration of our beliefs. But sacred beliefs lead to sacred lives. If you embrace these sacred beliefs, then it is going to have some kind of ramification in your life. And so we discussed last Sunday, what you believe matters. We also said what you believe about Jesus really matters. And eternity is at stake. So with that said, let's talk about this text today. Let me, let me begin with some context. John, in his gospel, he provides historical, theological, and spiritual context to the account of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. He offers us something that is unique to his gospel. He gives us historical context. We, we all know, we've read Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We, we know about Thursday evening, the final night of Jesus' life. We know that it was there that a number of things happened. But John offers a different perspective historically. When, when you're reading John's gospel, most scholars divide John's gospel into two major sections, John 1 through 12 and John 13 through 21. John 1 through 12 is referred to as the book of signs. There are numerous signs in John 1 through 12 that point people to who Jesus is. So you'll see that word sign many times in John 1 through 12. John 13, and John 1 through 12 is about the public ministry of Jesus. These signs are done publicly to point people to him. John 13 and following is about the private ministry of Jesus. And this is referred, this, this section, most scholars refer to it as the book of glory. It is the story of how Jesus is going to be glorified. And the key phrase in John 13 and following, you'll see it in verse 1. His hour had come. That word hour will be used numerous times in the rest of John's gospel. It was the hour for this. It was the time for this, if you will. And so the glorification of Jesus, though, is going to be told from John's perspective. John is going to refer to the cross as one way that Jesus is glorified. Now, that's probably not the perspective that many of us would have had telling this story. But what John does historically is he enhances our understanding of the final days of Jesus' earthly life. And he tells us about something that the other three gospel writers omit. And that is Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. 
Now, there's also a theological context of what happens when Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. It wasn't just, um, it wasn't just a physical act. It, it was a physical act, but that's not all it was. So if you're paying attention in John's gospel, you know that John is a theologian. What John is beginning to show us, beginning in chapter 13, is the glorification of Jesus. John says, back in John 1, verse 14, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. So now John is about to lay that out for us. But here's what's interesting about the glorification of Jesus. It's going to actually be on display through humility and sacrifice. It's going to be displayed through foot washing and dying on a cross. Jesus is going to demonstrate to us he's not the kind of Messiah that many people expected. In fact, he's going to actually take some of Isaiah and embody it in ways that no one saw coming. No one understood until Jesus did it. So for example, if you still have your Bibles open, if you look back at Genesis 12, John associates a passage with the messianic um, role of Jesus that some in his day would have missed. If you look at John 12, verse 38, he says, um, people still wouldn't believe in Jesus. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who's believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That's a quote from Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 paints the picture of a suffering servant. And so Jesus is letting us know, and John is understanding it theologically, that Jesus is going to be a different kind of Messiah. He's not this conquering hero that's going to bring about some military victory and usher in the Jewish empire, if you will. He has come to establish the kingdom of God and fulfill everything in the law and the prophets. And in order for that to occur, Jesus has chosen this path. It's a path of humiliation. He's descending to us. It's going to take place through service and sacrifice. He is going to wash feet. He's going to be crucified. And he refers to that as being lifted up not being brought down. Imagine that. He's referring to being crucified as being lifted up, not being brought down. It's an incredible view. Washing feet, though, was somewhat controversial. As a matter of fact, if you go back to chapter 12, verses four and five, Judas Iscariot, he, um, he protested Mary washing the feet of Jesus. Then you come to chapter 13, verse eight, and Peter protests Jesus washing his feet. Isn't that interesting? Those two men are called out during the foot washing ceremony. And what's their story? One of them will betray Jesus and the other one will deny him. In the midst of Jesus' humiliation and glorification, there'll be great disappointment in some of his closest friends. And here's what Jesus is teaching these disciples theologically. Peter says, you're not gonna wash my feet. Jesus says, well, if you're not washed by me, there's no hope for you. What Peter doesn't understand is, is through, at this point at least, is through the humiliation of Jesus, both acts of service and servanthood, as well as his sacrifice on the cross, that's going to allow him to be cleansed in the first place. And so what he's saying is, if you don't accept this kind of Messiah, there is no other Messiah. If you don't accept this kind of service and sacrifice, well, there is no other option for you, because it's the only one. And so John has had years to think about this. And now he's writing this story of the foot washing of Jesus in the context of the crucifixion of Jesus. This is just kind of a, a precursor. If you, if you think Jesus washing the feet of the disciples is humiliating, why do you see him crucified? 
So Jesus is saying, you get me and you only get me and you get the kind of Messiah I am or you get nothing else. Does that make sense? <clears throat> so the, he's not just washing their feet to clean their feet. He is doing that, but he's demonstrating something to them theological, theologically that hopefully they'll be able to call to mind as they reflect on the truth of his messianic ministry. Now, with that said, there's also a spiritual context to this. Because basically what Jesus is teaching these disciples is you've got to accept me for who I am, the kind of Messiah I am. And if you accept that, then you will accept my way. You're going to accept the way I do things. As a matter of fact, he's going to tell them later, I'm the only way. So you're going to have to follow my way if you're going to be my people. You're going to have to live as servants, sacrificial, caring, live in humility, if you will. As a matter of fact, the passage that Harrison read a moment ago, what did Jesus, what did Paul say? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Humility and service. And so washing the feet of these disciples was an incredible act of humility. It's important to our church. Um, we, we love that image. The image of humility is captured in that statue of the divine servant by Max Greiner. I've got a photo of that divine servant. So let me show you. Oh. Wow. Wow. How did that get in there, that bottom of the ninth home run, game one of the World Series? Okay, come on, y'all, seriously. Sorry, I, just, I can't help it, y'all. I can't get over it. It's gonna, if y'all will bear with me, it's only going to last about a year, so just, just stay with me. Okay. I really do have a photo of the divine servant, although I love Corey Seager. So, but every day people walk by this campus, and out here in this courtyard, here's what we have. Jesus kneeling, humbly sacrificially doing something that no one else did in that particular moment. And it's a signal to anybody who comes by this church. We believe in service and we believe in this particular Messiah. Now, what's the content of John 13? Well, John shares a story from the final night of the earthly life of Jesus. This, as I said, it's unique to his gospel account. The other gospel writers talk about this night. In fact, they add texture to it. Luke tells us that a, a dispute broke out that night about who was going to be the greatest one. Y'all remember that? <clears throat> how fascinating is that? Can you imagine how disappointed Jesus must have been? Here he is on the eve of his final life on earth, and the disciples are arguing about who's going to be first. And Jesus is going to have to teach them, well, if you want to be first, well, this is going to be a different path than what you think right now. I mean, they're probably in their minds thinking Jesus is the Messiah. Who's going to rule with him? And Jesus will now say, well, I will show you a better way in fact, let me just demonstrate it for you. And then he takes a towel, takes off his outer cloak, takes a towel. Now, in the ancient world, the ancient world, y'all know, was a dirty, dusty world. It just, it wasn't sanitary. They walked everywhere they went for the most part. And so you can imagine um, the filth that was just there with all this sea of humanity, particularly in a, a metropolitan city like Jerusalem. And so if you were going to have a meal, sometimes they reclined when they had a meal. And the way they would do that is they would face the, the little small table with their feet back behind them. The Jews tended to sit in chairs. That was more customary for them. But the point is, everybody arrived with dirty feet. Somebody in the household, somebody was supposed to wash the feet of everybody. Somebody. Okay? It was a servant. Sometimes it was a slave. We even have records where there are some Jews who said Gentiles had to do that for them. So there was this, it was a menial task. There's a formal meal. There's filthy feet. And what does Jesus do? He takes on the role of a servant while these guys are arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven and Jesus shows them how to find greatness in the kingdom of heaven. 
So it's a, it's a beautiful, powerful story. As a matter of fact, there's imagery in this story. John refers and paints the image of Jesus taking up a towel and then laying it down. He's going to use that language later. Jesus is going to take up a cross and he's going to lay down his life. So the foot washing of Jesus is directly linked theologically to the crucifixion of Jesus, the way John tells this story. Now with that said, let me talk to you about the challenge of all of this. Because Jesus, as I read this story, and as I read just the life of Jesus, he embodied the essence of sacrificial servanthood. And so as followers of Jesus, we're to follow his blessed example. So what does he tell us in verse 14? He says, wash one another's feet. Now, some people take that literally. Um, my brother, when he was uh, in the Air Force, he was stationed at the Pentagon, and uh, he went to a foot-washing Baptist church. I'd never been to one. And I remember the first time I visited there, they washed, they literally wash each other's feet. Any of you ever been to a foot-washing Baptist church or just a foot-washing, you know? Some people take it literally. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think there's a broader implication here. I think what Jesus is challenging us to do is just to serve others. Follow my example, serve others. Take care of other people's needs. How can, your first thought should not be, how can I be great? That's not your first thought. Your first thought is, how can I be used by God? How can I use my abilities, my gifts, my resources in service to the Lord, to his people, and to our world? That's the question we should ask. That's how you follow the example of Jesus as I read the text. So let me just give you a couple of examples. Our church. Our church has a posture of service. The divine servant statue out here, uh, Bob Fuston sitting right here. Bob reminds me, one of the reasons he wanted that statue there was a, because it's a testimony to the servanthood nature of our church. True, Bob? That's one of the communications for everyone. Well, our church has a posture of service. We just do. We have a counseling center at our church for our community, for our church. We have a Christian Women's Job Corps where we're ministering to, to women in need. We have a child development center. We have Living Hope. We have Mission Arlington. All of those are postures of servanthood, true? It, it's, it, these are tangible ways that we try to serve the people in this community. What about our missions efforts? Well, in our missions efforts, we have the posture of servanthood. You just heard testimonies from our, our workers who live in Europe and Africa. Y'all know we have other work. We work on the Texas border. And what I would tell y'all is that every one of those places where we work, there's a posture of service and servanthood. There are things that we do to tangibly care for people and make sure their needs are met. That's just how we do things at First Baptist Arlington. It's the calling of Jesus. If people are hungry, we try to feed them. If people are sick, we try to heal them. If people need conversation, we try to have conversation with them. In other words, we go with our hands empty in the terms of what we expect, our hands full of what we anticipate to give. That's the posture of our church. A few years ago, um, I was in, last time I was in West Africa, um, we were going to take a medical clinic up into the villages and a bunch of our church members were there along with people from other places. We had doctors and dentists and nurses and we were doing medical clinics. Well, there was a certain area that Pastor Emmanuel wanted us to go to. He had visited there and got permission for us to go. But the problem is that particular area, there was a chief in the outlying village that you had to pass through his village to get to where we wanted to go who had been uh, very angry toward Pastor Emmanuel and his workers. In fact, he had persecuted them. It threatened them. As a matter of fact, one time Pastor Emmanuel was trying to make his way up to visit some of the other church planters and this chief had some of his men lay some timber in the road just to block their passage and then threaten them, threaten their lives if they ever came that way again. I didn't know all that when we went. I just want to let y'all know. They didn't tell me that until after the fact. So, 
But we're making our way there up that very same road, went past that very same village, passing that very same chief, and we, we stopped and took a break, and that chief drives up on a motorcycle, and I don't know who he is, I've never met him, Emmanuel knew him, and he wanted to know, what are you doing? Why do you have all these vans? What's, what's all, what is all this stuff? And Emmanuel told him, well, we've got people here who've come from a faraway place, and they're gonna actually help the people in this particular village. They're bringing medicine, and they're gonna take care of everyone. And this chief said, why? And so Emmanuel explained it briefly. And then this, this chief said, can I come? I'm sick. Now this is a guy that has threatened Emmanuel's life, okay? So we set up the clinic and guess what? This chief came. Then he said, can I bring my wife tomorrow? He went back and got his wife and brought her. I got a picture of him, I'll show you. Um, with uh, me and Cindy and Emmanuel and he's standing right there to my left. And guess what happened after that, y'all? Because we took care of him, took care of his family, showed love in the community. He asked Emmanuel, would you bring all that to my village? And now he's allowed a church planter in his village. So no longer threatening, no longer persecuting because he was served in love and grace. That, that's how it works, y'all. It's genuine, it's authentic, it's meaningful. Now, our church has that posture. Our missional strategy has that posture, but that's not enough. You need it. It's for you and your personal life. And so, let's ask you, how is God using you in your world to be sacrificial and to serve others? I came across this story. Um, it's a guy named Michael Wingard. And let me just read it to you. He arrived at Houston Methodist Hospital um, with a, a young, he was a young man with a healthy left kidney. There's a story about him. Well, he wanted to give his kidney to a friend of his. Well, the problem is there wasn't a match and they had to tell him it won't work. However, this medical team at Houston Methodist Hospital said, if you'll let us, we will put you in a chain and we promise you if you will give your kidney, we will eventually get a kidney to your friend. It won't be yours, but we will get one to your friend. So he agreed to that. So something crazy happened, y'all. Let me see when this was. This was in March of 2022. So here's what happened. Um, Michael Wingard gave his kidney to Heather O'Neill Smarella. Her twin, Stacy O'Neill, gave her kidney to Javier Ramirez Ochoa, whose son-in-law, Thomas Martinez, donated his kidney to Chris McClellan whose father, David McClellan, gave his kidney to Barbara Moten, whose daughter, Lisa Jolivet, gave her kidney to Kaylin Connolly, Wingard's friend. So he started a chain. It took 10 more steps, and eventually a whole bunch of people got kidneys, including his friend. Two days after all of them had their surgery, they brought them all together at Houston Methodist Hospital. Here they are, strangers, don't know each other. Chris McClellan leaned over to Thomas Martinez and said, thank you for giving my life back. And by the way, you have an awesome kidney. <clears throat> well, <laughs> well, guess what? That one person was sacrificial. It affected another person and another person and another person. And look how many people benefited. You, you have no idea. When you and I engage in our personal acts of service and love and sacrifice, how God can use them to set off a chain of generosity that'll affect people's lives. So let me encourage you and me. How do we find greatness in the kingdom of God? Through humble service. That's how. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this story. My goodness, Lord, we thank you for the 
testimony of Jesus, the example of Jesus, the challenge of Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that we'll heed his counsel to us, that we will be servants and that we'll use our resources and who we are and what we have for your glory. And I pray that in Jesus' name.